Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. All right, come on, who's excited? Angels in the outfield. All right, by a show of hands, how many of you have ever seen that movie before? Okay, all of your hands should go up because in the 90s, the trailer showed you the whole movie. How long, did you notice that? Like now the trailers are like just a black screen and one line of text. You're like, what's it about? So you just saw that movie, but hey, this is one of my childhood favorite movies. And I'm excited to be kicking off our At The Movies series with this movie. Today's not just the start of At The Movies. Today is the start of 21 Days of Prayer. Come on, who's excited about that? Yeah, this is our August 21 Days of Prayer And so what we do at Blaze Church is two times during the year, we intentionally focus as a church on prayer. In January, we start the new year off with prayer and fasting for three weeks. And in August, we do three weeks of prayer and feasting. Come on, somebody. You don't have to give up the barbecue during these three weeks. But what you do get to do is you get to focus on God with your church family. And so we have a webpage that I'm I'm just... I'm encouraging you and imploring you as your pastor. Be on this webpage every single day. In fact, I think it would be a great idea if over these three weeks you delete your Facebook and Instagram apps and instead start your morning with blazechurch.org slash 21 days. I promise you if the first thing that gets in your heart is God's word and prayer, you're gonna reframe that day a lot better than going through a social media feed or getting the news of this world. All right, so blazechurch.org slash 21 days. And tomorrow at 7 a.m., we'll have a live prayer service that you can be a part of. And it will be up for the rest of the day. And then on Tuesday, a new prayer service will go up. And then on Saturdays, we're gonna come together at 9 a.m., in our building. And the other part of 21 days in August that I'm excited for is we're actually going to read through the writings of John together as a church family. And so you can go on that webpage and click the button, get on our YouVersion plan, and all of us are going to be on there reading through John. So we've got a lot going on this month. So I figured why not start 21 days of prayer with a movie that I love that also teaches us four qualities of how to pray. Because maybe you just heard all that and you're like, oh my goodness, what church did I enter into? 21 days of prayer. I can barely pray for 21 minutes without reusing material. I just, all right, God, I'm gonna pray for them again. I got a whole hour to get through. We'll just bring them up again. So how are we supposed to pray for 21 days? Maybe you've made this statement that I know I've made before. I want to pray like that. Has anyone ever said that before? Come on, you can be honest. I want to, like, you've been around somebody, and you heard them, and you're like, they just did the whole thing in King James. <laughs> that was amazing. Where, where do I go to prayer school and learn to pray like that? Or maybe it wasn't what they were saying, but the way they were saying it, there was just a boldness in their prayers. It felt like they were literally standing next to Jesus, and you're looking, you're saying, I want to pray like that. Well, what I want to do today is, first, I want to define what that is. And then I want to show you how every single person can pray like that. So how many here want to have an effective and powerful prayer life? Go ahead and give me an amen and a hand wave or something. I think I see a hanky in the back. This church is wild. That's awesome. No, there's no one doing that. Everyone's like, really? But we want to pray like that. We want to be powerful. I don't want us to waste the next 21 days. 
That would just be something to fill a church calendar with. And so I want you to take notes today. I want you to lean in as we discover four qualities of prayer that we need so that we can pray like that. Now, to discover these qualities, we're going to work through our movie, Angels in the Outfield, and we're also going to look at a story in the Bible in the Old Testament of a man named Naaman. Now, before we start reading, let me give you a little bit of history. This is found in 2 Kings, so I'm going to give you a moment to turn there in your Bible or turn on your YouVersion app and get there. But a little bit of history, Naaman is the commander of an army that is against Israel. Okay, so this is not like a good guy. This is not one that you would say, okay, that's awesome. I want my kids to grow up and be like Naaman. At this point, he is leading the army of Aram that are against the people of Israel. Now, Israel is a divided people. There's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And all of the kings of Israel have been wicked. They have not been serving God. So I say all of that for you to realize the landscape that we're about to read about is one that is void of the presence of God. There are people that are not connecting to him. There are people that would look at a 21 days of prayer and say, why bother? We haven't experienced God in so long. And we're going to see what this man Naaman experiences. So turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier. Would you say this next line with me? But he had leprosy. Stop there for a moment. So this is telling us all the great things that Aram has accomplished, the great commander, the enemy army, that he was respected, that even God used him, but he had leprosy. Now, maybe that's not a disease you're familiar with. It's not one that we talk about today. At this time, leprosy was really any sort of skin disease. And we're not sure of how severe the leprosy was for Naaman, but we do know, according to the law, that God gave the Jewish people leprosy rendered a person unclean. In fact, this is what the book of Leviticus says. As long as they have the disease, that's leprosy, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live, say this with me, outside the camp. I want you to remember that. So here we have Naaman, who according to the Jewish law would be one that is unclean, meaning he could not get close to the presence of God, and he is to be outside the camp. Now, not only is Naaman outside the camp because of his skin disease, he's outside the camp for two other reasons. Strike one, he's a leper. Strike two, he is a commander of an enemy army of the people of God. And strike three, he's not Jewish. I want you to remember that about Naaman. Because if there is one person in this story that should not experience the goodness and the grace of God, it would be one like Naaman who is outside the camp. Maybe today for you, even just being in a church is such a big deal because you feel so outside the camp. You feel like, man, there's nothing good about me. There's no reason God should love me. With everything I've done in my life, I've got way more than three strikes. Why should I pray? Why would I read? Why would I connect with a God who certainly wouldn't connect with me? Maybe for you today, you feel like Naaman. You feel outside the camp. And so I want you to realize that what God does for Naaman, God is able to do for you today. That's the good news. And so let's see what happens. 
We read on in verse 2 that bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. So what we're seeing here is that at some point, Naaman's army went to the people of Israel, went into their camps, and actually trafficked humans, took humans back to Aram, and now this young girl is a slave to the wife of Naaman. That's her identity. That's the pain of her story. What do you think she's going to do being in a foreign country, being enslaved, being removed from her home, having her whole life ruined? Verse 3 says this, she said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Let me ask you, how would you treat somebody who ruined your life? Let's make it more personal. How are you treating somebody that's ruined your life? Maybe for you, it's a boss that promised promotions and the promotions never came. Maybe it's somebody who took from you, someone who lied to you, someone who said, I do till death do us part, but they didn't. Maybe it's a friend that you put your trust in, a family member that betrayed you, that talks about you, that tears you and your family down. How do you treat the people or person that has ruined your life? You might call them your enemy. Well, next week, you gotta come back because we're gonna discover how we love our enemies. And we're gonna get a little help from a 90s Pixar movie. But think about it. This young slave girl has had her life ruined, and what she says is, I wish my master would go to Israel. There's a prophet there, a man of God named Elisha, because I know that if he goes there, he's going to be healed of his leprosy. And in her, we discover the first quality of prayer, and it's this word, confidence. Do you see the confidence that this young slave girl has? She doesn't care that he's a foreigner. She doesn't care that he's an enemy. She doesn't care that he has an incurable disease. She says, I know that the man of God will cure him. She's got confidence. Let's talk a little bit about our movie. Roger is told by his father that the only way they'll become a family again is if the baseball team, the Angels, start winning games and ultimately win the championship. And so Roger prays with some confidence. Take a look at the screen, see what he says. God, if there's God, if you're a man or a woman, if you're listening, I really, really like a family. My dad says that only happened if the angels won the bet. The baseball team, I mean. All right, so I know what you're wondering. Is that Joseph Gordon-Levitt as a child? It is. How crazy is that? I didn't know that for my entire life, and there he is. And he didn't get any credits during the trailer. Little did they know what he would turn into. But here he is. He's praying with confidence and with what Jesus called childlike faith. Why not ask God to help a baseball team win? He figures. What, why, what's the worst that's going to happen? Why not have confidence in God? See, 
as God's children, as people of God, you and I have been instructed to pray with confidence. This is what John the Apostle writes. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Do you notice the word there? If we ask anything, this morning we started singing with a song called Anything is Possible. What's great about the Greek word anything is in English, it means anything. Just anything. Anything we ask, if we ask with confidence, we can know that God hears us. So let me ask you this. As we approach 21 days of prayer, what kind of prayers are you praying? How are you praying? Too often I found that I just, I pray small prayers. I pray a lot of like, if you can, maybe you can, I don't know, I'm not sure, if you want to. Or we pray safe prayers. A safe prayer is like, thank you, Jesus, for this food. Amen. That's a safe prayer. All right, yeah, thank you for the food. Or, or God, I just pray there's no traffic. Okay, that's a safe <laughs> prayer, right? We all pray, especially on Long Island. But that's a safe prayer. What if we started praying big prayers? What if we started praying with boldness? What if we started praying with confidence, knowing that we have a God who hears us? I've got a pastor friend of mine that says, you know what we need? We need some big ask faith. Make sure you heard the K there at the end of that. We, we just need some big ask faith. We need to actually approach God and make some big asks of him because after all, we're talking to the one who breathed the stars into existence. We're talking to the one who woke you up this morning and sustains you with breath in your lungs. We're talking to the one who knows all things and is all powerful. So why would we not pray with confidence? Maybe prayer is a chore to you because you're not praying exciting prayers in confidence. And so this young slave girl figures... If he goes, he's going to be healed because I have the confidence in the God of Israel. And so she tells her master and her master then tells the king what she has said. And he asks the king if he can go and the king gives him permission. And Naaman gets together hundreds of pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold and 10 sets of clothing, which shows us he's very wealthy. He's got a lot. And he's preparing his caravan to go and get his healing and I think he's thinking he's got to pay for it. We'll find out as we keep reading. But what I think is funny, I want to read it to you. The king actually sends a letter with Naaman to the king of Israel. And here's what it says in verse 6. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. No pressure, right? The king of Aram is saying, You know this incurable disease? Well, here's my servant. You're going to cure him of this disease. And in fact, if we kept reading, you would see that the king of Israel is distressed. He tears his robe. He believes that the king of Aram is trying to start a war with him by giving him an impossible task. And that's where Elisha, the man of God, hears about the distress of the king of Israel. And Elisha tells the king, bro, chill. It's right there. You can see it in your own text. Just, just calm down. Like, send him to me and he will be healed. And so the king tells Naaman, go see Elisha. And I want you to see the interaction that they have. It says in verse 9, So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. There's two things I want you to notice 
that takes place in this exchange. Remember, Naaman is a wealthy, important, respected commander of an army. Where he goes, people respect his authority. They respect his title. And he goes to the king of Israel, and Israel, the Israel's king sends him to Elisha. And when he gets to Elisha's house, did you notice? Elisha does not even come out and meet him face to face. Elisha sends his messenger out the door. And then Elisha's messenger says, oh, here's what you've got to do. Go take a bath seven times. <laughs> what? Great Naaman, you want me to bathe seven times in the Jordan River? How do you think Great Naaman is going to respond to the direction of the man of God. Come on, what do you, what do you think? You think you'd be happy? Oh, that's great. Yeah, I forgot my soap. Does anyone have extra soap? I'm gonna, seven times over, I got to take a bath. Came all the way here. Didn't even get to meet the guy. He's not happy. It says in the next verse, Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God wave his hand over this spot and cure me of my leprosy. I think this is hilarious. Naaman's over here saying, I traveled all this way from Aram to Israel and I thought, that's key, I thought the way that this was gonna come about was that at least the prophet was gonna come out, get his hands all ready with some anointing oil and start just waving them over my leprosy and it would start to disappear. Like, this is what he thought. It's how he thought his prayer would be answered. It's how he thought his healing would come. But it didn't come that way. It wasn't according to his plan or his will. And he goes on and says, are not Abana and Farpar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in rage. He says, I could, have, I could have taken a bath at home. I did not need to travel all this way just to take a bath. And the rivers over in my country are cleaner than the waters here in Israel. You see, what Naaman is expressing is something that I know I've expressed many times when I pray. God, here's my plan. Are you ready to do what I need you to do? God, here's my will. Here's how this is going to play out. And, and prayer is really just about me getting you to realize what you need to do. And man, 21 days over, I'm just going to come in and keep reminding you, just in case you don't know, what you have to do. You pray with confidence, but here's the second quality. Do you pray with submission? Do you pray with the quality that says what we sang just moments before? Not my will, but your will be done. Father, have your way on the earth. Right? This is what we're singing. This is what we're declaring. But think, when you go to prayer, are your prayers covered in a submissive attitude to say, Lord, here's when I'm praying with confidence and I know that you have the best plan for my life. I thought by now life would look like this. I thought healing would look like this. I thought marriage would look like this. I thought singleness would look like this. Do we lay that down and say, God, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your ways are better than my ways. See, we read a verse in John just a moment ago, but did you pick up on the submission quality? We read, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God. If we ask anything, what does that say? According to his will, he hears us. Because maybe for you today, you're saying, Pastor Keith, I've been praying with confidence for years and years and the situation's not changing. Are you praying according to his will? 
Are you so dependent on God to know that his plans are so much better than your plans that you can pray with confidence and at the same time say, God, if your plans are crazy, I'm going to submit to your crazy plans. How many know God has some crazy plans sometimes? I mean, you're in a church called Blaze Church. How crazy is this? Right? Like, just what is God going to do? I, I, I don't know. But what I do know is that his plans are good, even when they don't make sense. A lot of times, especially when they don't make sense. Look at the principles that God gives us. Forgive those who hurt you. Trust him with the first 10% of your income. Love everyone. This doesn't make sense, but it's God's good plan. So Roger prays that prayer and God answers the prayer in the movie. And Roger starts seeing angels at the baseball games. And only Roger is able to see the angels. And so he lets the manager, George Knox, know there's angels out here. That's why we're doing so good. And so the manager says, all right, you and your friend JP are going to sit real close to the dugout. And when you see an angel, you're going to let me know with something indiscreet. So they come up with this. No one will know what they're doing. Just, this is their baseball symbol. And Roger sees an angel in this moment. And George Knox is faced with this dilemma. Will I execute my plan that makes sense? Or will I submit to the crazy plan of this child? Go ahead, take a look at this clip. What's going on? There's an angel with Hammerly. Massaging Hammerling's shoulders. This is ridiculous. I don't know what you're seeing, but there's no one with Hammerling. She's rubbing his shoulders. Uh, huh? I, and what should I do about it? What do you mean? Pinch hit. I, I got Mitchell coming up. He's my best hitter. Emily can't hit the broad side of a barn. I, I can't substitute my worst hitter for my best hitter. If you want to hit, you'll put in Hammerlin. It's crazy. Wacko. You forget about it. But he's got an angel. All right. And if you want to see what happens, you need to go home and watch the movie. All right. <laughs> but here it is. George Knox is given this option. Will you do what you planned or will you trust what seems like a crazy plan? You know, we get this example from Jesus. The night before he's betrayed in the garden, he goes a little further. He falls on his face to the ground. And what does he pray in Matthew 26, 39? My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Come on, how many times have you prayed, God, not my will, but your will be done? Is that a part of your prayer? I'm encouraging over these 21 days that that become a quality of prayer that you embody, submission to the will of God. And that's gonna be really hard if not for the third and fourth quality. So Naaman, as we read, rides off in rage and he's not gonna do it. He's, he's like, I'm not taking a bath seven times in Israel, this is not happening. And his servants that are with him actually convince him and implore him and say, Naaman, if it was something hard, you would do it. Why not just do this? I mean, worse is going to happen. You're going to smell a whole lot better than you do right now anyway. So just go for it. And he does. And it says in verse 14, he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, now look at what he says. Now I know that there is no God in all the world except 
in Israel. Guys, what we are seeing here is not just a miracle of physical healing, but we are seeing a miracle of change of who Naaman is and who he worships. He's making a public declaration of faith saying, now I know that there is one God and the God is not back in Aram. The God is here in Israel. Here's the beauty of this story. God knew that Naaman didn't just have leprosy on the outside, but Naaman had leprosy on the inside. That Naaman needed his life changed. That Naaman needed to come to know the God who created him. He was outside the camp, but God wanted to bring him into the family. And so God is doing this miracle and Naaman is acknowledging, I've been changed. Here's the third quality of prayer. It's the word humility. Humility. Here's how you know if your prayers are filled with humility. When you pray, do you pray prayers like this? Oh God, you need to change them. Jesus, you know them, you made them, and Lord, they need you. And you just go in, God, you gotta change them, change how they are, change how they're acting, change how they're treating me. Or maybe your prayer is like this, God, change my situation, get me out of this mess. Yes, I know I overspent and put it all on a credit card, but now you have to save me, get me out of this situation. Maybe you pray prayers like that, or do you pray a humble prayer? God, change me. Change me. Change my perspective on the situation that you have me in right now. Change my responses to the actions of the people around me. Change the way I think. Change the way I act. Change my mentality. We just spent four weeks on how to win the war in our mind, on how to have our minds renewed by the word of God. And if we're not careful, we'll just leave that series behind and we pick up the new one. I'm praying that over these 21 days, we would be a church that prays a humble prayer that says, God, change me, start here. Change the way I see where I live. You have me in New York for a reason. I'm established here and so God, use me here. You have me at my job for a reason. Use me here. Change the way I see my boss and this company. Change the way I see my family and my friends. Change the way I relate to others. Change me. It's humility. It's so much easier to pray a change them or change this prayer. And guys, I'm guilty of it. If not for humility. And so George Knox, he goes through the rest of his baseball career with the angels and the team keeps winning and winning and the angels are helping the angels. And then finally, word gets out that he's getting some spiritual assistance. And the owner of the baseball team calls him in and says, you need to have a press conference and turn, just squash the whole thing. No more of this nonsense. You got to tell everybody it's all made up. There's no such thing. This isn't real. And he says, all right, fine. And he gathers a press conference and the owner's there and the news reporter, the kind of brought out the story is there. And he has a statement prepared to tear down the whole thing. But instead, he says something different. Take a look at what he says. You know, there are a lot of times in sports when there's no logical explanation why things happen. Sometimes a player gets hot and goes beyond their physical ability. Is it just adrenaline? I don't know. But I do believe there are times in life where something stronger, higher, or maybe spiritual is with us. I can't explain it, but something has happened to my players this year. Something 
that's changed the way they play and the way I manage. You can call it faith. You can call it angels. You can call it whatever you want. That's all I have to say. Come on, he can't hear us, but let's clap for that speech. He did a good job right there. He stands up and just, what, what's the summary of his, his speech? I've been changed. Something has changed, and the something is me. Maybe you've said this or heard this before, prayer changes things, and I don't disagree, but I want you to understand you're a part of the things. Prayer changes you. Too often, I go to prayer, and I want God to come into my plans and I want him to change what he's going to do. And instead he's saying, but I want to change you. I want you to get aligned with the assignment that I have for you. And humility is something we need to possess as we pray. Jesus told a story, a parable, which is a made-up story with a heavenly meaning. And he tells about two people who went to church. And one of them was a religious person. And when he got to church, he prayed a prayer like this. God, I'm so thankful that I'm not a sinner. I tithe, I serve, I worship, I do everything right. I'm so glad I'm not messed up. And there was a messed up person there that day at church. And the sinner, the tax collector, stands. And Jesus says all he does is beat his chest and prays, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's a humble prayer. And look at what Jesus declares about those two types of prayers. Luke chapter 18, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And I think all of us would say yes to this statement. We don't live in a culture or a time where humility is a value any longer. We live in a culture where how much clout can you get for yourself? How much influence can you create? How many followers do you have? How many people know your name? It's all about exalting ourselves. And yet, a gospel way of living, a true path that God has for us, his best plan for our lives, is one where we humble ourselves, we empty ourselves so that God can lift us up. And I'm telling you, that will never be a quality that you or I possess if not for this last and fourth quality. So what Naaman does is after he's been healed and goes back to Elisha and says, I know that your God is the God, he then offers him a whole lot of money. He tries to give him everything he brought, the gold, the silver, the changes of clothes. And Elisha looks at him and says, you cannot buy your healing. And you know what we call that today when you try to buy God's grace? We call it religion. Religion is a path that says, if you're good enough, if you go to church enough, if you pray enough, if you don't do too many bad things, then God will accept you. And if you've ever walked the path of religion, then you know well what shame and guilt feel like, don't you? I know I do. Where you feel like, yeah, but did I do enough good things? Does God really love me? Does he accept me? And I'm telling you, that is not God's plan for your life. This is not about a religion. It's about a relationship with the one who died in your place so that you might experience the goodness and the grace of God. Amen. And so Elisha says, basically, your money's no good here. That's not how this works. And Naaman responds with something striking. He says this in verse 17. If you will not, meaning if you won't take all my stuff, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. This to me is such a statement of faith 
and change. What he's saying is, fine, if I'm going to go back to Aram, then I'm literally going to bring the dirt of Israel with me because when I go to pray and kneel down, I want to pray and kneel down on holy ground. I want to be connected to the God who saved me. This is a miracle. See, we've seen the miracle of leprosy, but now we're seeing the true miracle that God is going to work out in your life today, and it's the miracle of adoption. It's the miracle of being outside the camp and then being brought into the family of God. Somebody give them praise that you've been adopted by the perfect work of Jesus. That's the miracle that Naaman is experiencing. He's saying, fine, then I'm only ever going to worship God again. I'm adopted. I'm a part of the family of God. See, the movie ends with the angels winning their championship game. And that's exactly what Roger's dad said needed to happen. If the angels win, we'll be a family again. But what ends up happening is his dad turns him over to the state. says, I, I'm not going to be his dad any longer. And Roger's baseball team wins. And what he most wants is a dad. Take a look at this last clip and see what he actually gets. Oh, Roger, your social worker called. What they want? Was it about my father? No, but it is about finding you a permanent home. <laughs> oh, JP, come back. JP, come back. You know, nothing's probably ever as good as your real parents. But there's some people who could care for you and love you and take care of you. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, Roger, the person who called social service, that was me. I want to try to be a dad. I want you to come and live in my house. You... <laughs> Everyone's got a tissue, right? See, what Roger wanted most was a dad, but what he needed most was a father. He needed that loving relationship. I love how Pastor Tim Keller defines prayer. He says it's a personal, communicative response to the knowledge of God. Prayer is personal, and prayer will only ever feel like a burden and a have to and a religious duty if not for a personal relationship with God as Father. If you don't know today that you are invited to know God as Father, that you are invited, Scripture says, to be adopted children of God, then you won't pray with confidence. You will never submit your plans to the plan of God. And why would you pray with humility? That will only happen if you are saved, if you are born again, if you know God as Father. And now you can pray with confidence to the God who said, you are my child, I love you, and I'm pleased with you. I know what you've done, but what you've done does not define you anymore. You're defined by the perfect work of Jesus Christ. You're my child. That's the miracle that Naaman experienced. And these are the qualities that I'm praying you know as we enter this season of 21 Days of Prayer. The worship team's gonna join me and we're gonna respond with a song called Run to the Father. And today, that is our response. To run to the Father who has sent his son to this world for us. 
You know, I've got two children. My son's seven. My daughter's five. And because I'm their father, they possess these qualities with me. They know I'm their dad. And so with confidence, they'll ask things of me. Now, they need to submit because sometimes when they ask for candy for breakfast, I just know it's not going to be a good day if that happens. And so they've got to trust, okay, your plans are better than my plans. And, and they're learning humility of how to say, I need to change. And all of that is stemming from a relationship that we have as father and child. And today, I want to invite you to know God as Heavenly Father, to know him as the one who loves you, who sent his son to this world to die for you so that you would not be outside the camp any longer, but so that you might be in the family of God. Would you bow your heads with me in this moment as we get ready to pray? We want to create a space for every person here and online to pray to God, to connect with him, to call out, as scripture says, on the name of the Lord and to be saved. And so in this moment, if there's something stirring in your heart and you're saying, I want to know God as father today. I don't want to relate to him disconnected any longer. I don't want to wonder if he loves me and I don't want to wander through life disconnected from him, but I want to be saved. We're going to pray. And as we pray, I'm going to invite you to raise your, your hand as a sign of declaration saying, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. God, you are my father. And today, August 8th, is a new day for me to be made new. And so our church, we're going to pray together. And if you want to know Jesus personally today, and you want to be adopted into the family of God, you want a peace and a hope that only comes from God, as we pray, would you raise your hand? And our welcome team is going to come and bring a little gift for you to say, here, here's your next step. But let's pray this together. Say this with me. Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died and rose again so I could be forgiven. I thank you for new life. Today, I give you mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church family, let's celebrate. Let's stand up. Let's sing this out together that God is the one we can run to as our father. If you made a decision to know Jesus today, as you're standing, give a little wave and our welcome team will come by with a resource for you. But I want you to know going into 21 days that God is there for you to run to, that we can pray with confidence, that we can pray with submission, that we can pray with humility, and that we can pray as adopted children of God. And so let this song be our response now as we begin to sing that we're going to run to the Father, that we're no longer going to carry our burdens alone, that we are no longer going to wonder if God loves us, but we are going to have the assurance that God is our heavenly Father. Come on, do you believe that today? Let's worship Jesus together.